The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're webcasting to you live from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders headquarters in Tarzana, California. It's Thursday, and I don't know about you, but I'm in a mood. It's a little bit like spring weather here today, and I'm in the mood to get a lot done today. Uh, we had a bunch of questions that we didn't get to yesterday. I want to get to all of those. We've got some phenomenal guests that are going to be with us today, some great experts that are here and are willing to answer your questions as well. So I want to get right to a couple of different things here. First of all, this entire show is meant to be interactive. We look at autism from a 360 degree view, so we talk about a little bit about everything. Uh, you certainly will hear us talk about ABA uh, today and every day and about quality ABA because we know that while there is no one-size-fits-all in the field of autism, um, you know, that there are certain therapies that might be good for one child, and my, this might be good for an adult, and this might be good here and there or wherever, um, the one thing that we know for sure is really going to be helpful for all of us is ABA, quality ABA. So we do t spend some time talking about that, and because it's so expensive and figuring out who to use and what's quality ABA, we take a little bit of time to delve into that pretty much every day. But it's by no means the only thing we talk about. We talk about how we put food on the table, how we keep a roof over the head, other therapies, other things that will be of interest to us, whether we're a parent, teacher, practitioner, working with an individual who's on the autism spectrum, or if you yourself are someone who is on the autism spectrum. We want to be a resource for you to help you hook up with information or other resources that uh, that can help you get hooked up with information. You know, sometimes it's all about what what question you're asking. And if you don't even know what the question is to ask, right, then you're out in a field going, I don't know what to do. And we like to take action here, right? We're all about taking action today. So in any case, Emily's going to cycle through some of the different ways that you can get in touch with us here. I hope that you will participate with us. I want to remind you that our home site is autism-live.com. If you go there, you'll see a computer screen. Click on the triangle there. You can be watching the show either live or the most recently recorded show to the side is that long skinny white box put your cursor there type away hit enter and it shows up here on the screen it, that box is open 24 hours a day seven days a week obviously I'm not here 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but the next time we come in and do the live show, I'm able to cycle through and look at what you guys have written in and then we can ask your questions uh, of the experts. We don't always get to them all in the first day, but uh, we try to get to them as quickly as we possibly can. Um, and I normally I don't start with the questions, but this one it bothered me all night long that I hadn't had a chance to answer it. Somebody wanted to know about ABA laws in Ohio. Is there ABA, does insurance um, cover 
ABA in Ohio. And here's the official word on that for you. And of course, it's gone off of my phone. Come back. Ohio does not have an autism mandate, but offers coverage for autism treatment through its state exchange, through that Affordable Care Act. So you can, if you get insurance through that, then you will have access to ABA. Uh, small group and individual policies should include coverage for autism treatment, but there is not an autism mandate, insurance mandate. So uh, you're going to have to delve a little bit further in to see if you have coverage for that. All right. Um, and I don't know whether it was the same person who was asking this because we are talking about insurance a lot this week. Um, and they said insurance companies don't know the answers to the codes for the billing. Yeah, no. What we see is that the insurance industry really has not caught up with the new laws. And keep in mind that it's not just autism that they're trying to keep up with. They're trying to keep up with all of these different things that are covered for a whole range of people, much more than just autism, right? And we can't wait for them to get caught up. They will get caught up and they will get all their people trained and you know sometime in 2017 everybody will know what they're doing but you can't wait that long you just can't so we always encourage you to go to the people who do know what the codes are which are the ABA providers find yourself a really good APA provider in your area call them up and say hey I don't know whether my insurance covers it and I don't know what the codes are let them handle it and by the way if your ABA provider says oh we don't handle that they're not a good quality ABA provider you didn't want to be with them anyway way. But, um, and to find that good quality ABA provider, we'll talk a little bit more today about how you do that. But you can, one of the best things you can do is uh, join a local parent support group and ask everybody there, who do you get your ABA with? What, what have you seen happen? What kind of progress has your child made? You know, ask those kinds of questions. Okay. So uh, I do like to remind you here at the start of the show that I am not an autism expert. I'm an autism parent. So I care very, very deeply. My son was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half, we were able to start good quality ABA therapy right after his third birthday. And it has made all the difference, all the difference. And he is now 10 and a half in a completely included fifth grade, typical fifth grade class and is the light of my life. And I'm happy to be able to say that I have a lot to pay forward. So when you write in and when you call in and when you ask for some help and support, please know that it's very important to me and, and I take it very seriously. So we want to be able to help you to connect with what you need to connect with, to get information that you need and to not feel alone in this because you aren't, you are not alone there. It's not only just me that's standing here with you in this, in this, you know, <laughs> torrential downpour is what it feels like sometimes, right? Uh, there are a whole lot of people who are standing with you on this. You can't always see them all the time, but I'm here to tell you that they're there. So write in, tell us what you need and, and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. All right. We like to start every morning with something that we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym, and we try to make sense of what this term means in our world and how it applies to what we're trying to accomplish with autism. So uh, this week we've been taking on some of the nastier insurance terms. And here, here is a nasty one for you. This one is just like a term. We just want to get rid of it, right? Uh, but we can't. It's important. And the term is self-funded plan. I know. What you talking about, Willis? 
is what I always want to say. Hmm, excuse me. So let's take a look at what the what our insurance experts tell us the actual definition is. Plans in which the employer pays all claims with their own funds. Self-funded plans are only subject to federal ERISA laws. If a state mandate mandates coverage for ABA therapy, the self-funded plan wouldn't have to comply with that law. Okay, that's pretty concise, and I think once you delve into these kinds of worlds, that makes a lot of sense. We watered it down just a little bit for our working definition. Our working definition is a plan that's paid for by the employer. Technically, this is not insurance, so it does not have to abide by insurance reform. So uh, who does self-funded plans? Well, it's kind of hit and miss. If you have a pretty large employer who is covering a lot of different people, they get to make a decision about whether they want to do actual insurance, which means that they're paying into something and there's no chance of getting their money back, right? Or if they want to do a self-funded plan, which means they're going to assume the risks for themselves. They're going to set up a fund that people can, you know, get their insurance coverage for, but they're going to pay for it, right? A lot of employers have self-funded plans. Uh, I'm not sure what all of the, the tax and the all the different monetary incentives and Incentives are for it, but a lot of employers will have a self-funded plan. Um, I would caution you to not assume anything it, uh, about whether you have a self-funded plan or not, right? Because it looks like and it quacks like regular insurance, you know? Uh, in fact, your employer may be referring to it as your insurance coverage or your insurance plan. Uh, you really have to ask your HR department, are we self-funded or is it actual insurance? Somebody in your HR department should know the answer to that question. Now, if they tell you, no, this is actual insurance, then, and you live in a state where there is a, a mandate for autism, then you should be covered. You absolutely, your insurance plan should be covering ABA. If you go to that HR person and they say, oh no, we have a self-funded plan, then you know that your, your insurance provider doesn't have to cover by the insurance mandate. Uh, depending on which state you're in, they may have to under the, uh, my understanding, and I'm not sure that I understand, under the uh, Affordable Care Act, they may have to. So you really can't make any assumptions except for when they say to you that they are not a self-funded plan. If they are a self-funded plan, you're still in that position of, oh, do I have insurance for ABA or do I not? Again, best thing to do, find your really great quality ABA provider, work with them, call them up, make the decision that your, your child or you or whoever you're working with is going to get that ABA, call them up and say, first thing I want to do is check the insurance. What's my insurance coverage? What does it do not cover? And if they come back and say, you're not covered, then, you know, we've talked about this before on other shows, there are other avenues that you can do to try to get that coverage. But Let's let's be positive assumptive, as they say, and assume that because some even before Affordable Care Act, we were saying that something like 50 percent of individuals in the United States should be covered, should be covered by um, insurance. Now, with Affordable Care Act, I'd like to bump that number to somewhere between 60 and 70 percent. So the vast majority of you are going to get an answer saying yes. 
Oh, some of you are still going to get an answer no, which is why we are fighting so hard for ERISA law reform. So when you hear us talking about the show about it's so important that we get a federal mandate that includes ERISA, that's why. Because some people are getting away with not covering ABA. Um, I will I will out my husband's employer right here on the air. I'm sure that I shouldn't, but um, my husband works for Whole Foods Market. Great place, right? That should, you would think, would cover things that keep us healthy and are important. And yet it is a self-funded plan that does not include ABA. I find that really sad and kind of abhorrent, but you know, there it is. In any case, moving on, we always have a question of the day for you. Uh, and this is something that we like to check in if we have time today. We've got a lot of guests on, a lot of great experts for you today. But we want to know from you today, what's been the hardest thing about getting your insurance to pay for autism therapies? You know, on Tuesday here in the state of California, there was a hearing. Uh, state Senate leader uh, Daryl Steinberg had this hearing because we've had this law on the books now for almost two years that allows for insurance in the state of California to pay for, doesn't allow for it, it, it requires them to. Again, not if it's self-funded, but uh, they wanted to know, is it working? Like what kinds of roadblocks are you coming up against? And it was very interesting to hear families talk about all the different exclusions that insurance are putting out. So this is important information and we all need to step up and say what it is. If you're having a problem, I would appreciate it if you would post it on our site, whatever the problem is, put it in detail and we will make sure to for, for that, forward that off to lawmakers. It's important that they know how it's it's working and where it's not working, right? So please answer that question. It's important for you and it's also important for our entire community. We always have a topic of the day. Our topic this entire week and really this entire month, we're talking about advances in autism. And in particular this week, we're talking about autism and insurance. This is a, an area where, I don't know about you, but I just thought I would never have any interest. I really don't care about insurance except when it doesn't work except when it's not there, right? And and quickly as an autism parent, I, you know, I was like, well, surely we'll have, oh my goodness, there's a huge gaping hole here. We have no insurance for this. Are you kidding me? What kind of a world are we living in? Um, and thankfully, you know, it's seven years later and we don't live in that world anymore. We live in a different world where there's different things happening. But I don't know about you. I want to get to that world. I hope it's just a couple of months away where we can proudly hold our heads up and say that we are making sure that every child and we have to start community by community, state by state um, and then get all of the United States funded. And then I, then, you know, I turn my eyes to the rest of the world and we really need to set the tone here. But every single child who is diagnosed with autism is deserving of a level playing field of quality ABA therapy. Not saying, well, these kids were just going to give 10 hours a week and these kids were not going to give anything to. I don't know, you know, who feels that they can arbitrate that, but they're wrong, right? <laughs> so this is, we are significantly further down the road. I really have to tell you that when my son was diagnosed, I thought for sure that the day would never come. Once I knew that insurance didn't cover it, I thought for sure the day would never come when insurance would. I just didn't see how that was going to happen in Arizona, that wild and crazy Arizona that does a lot of interesting things with their laws said, we're going to get this done. And they did. And it started 
this cascade effect that really is changing the world in which we live. It's a beautiful thing. Okay, so on to some of the different guests. I've, I've said to you we're having some fabulous people on today. So uh, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to be joined by Dr. Adele Nadowski for Real Progress with Dr. Adele. Can't wait to talk to her. Then a little bit later on in this hour, we're going to have Michelle Haskell, who is going to be with us from an ABA provider in Virginia. And the name of it, I'm going to slaughter it, but it's the I think it's the Mia Alofa. It is a a uh, nonprofit organization that's doing ABA therapy. So we're going to be joined by her and she's going to talk with us a little bit about what that looks like in Virginia. And then in the next hour, we're going to be joined by Dr. Jonathan Tarbox for Science Beat. And we're going to be talking about self-injurious behavior. You guys have written in a lot of questions about that. And we'll answer some of the questions that you have as well. I do want to tell you, we were slated to have Bill Cowell from the movie uh, Bad IQ. That uh, That's the movie that was really in the news a couple of weeks ago because Philip C Seymour Hoffman was participating in it. It's a documentary about autism. Bill is not able to join us. He's got an emergency on his hands this morning, but we hope to have him on next week. So just to let you know, that won't be happening today, but hopefully next week. And we wish our best to Bill. Okay, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to be back with Dr. Adele Nadowski. Stick with us. Skills is an online program that provides assessment, curriculum, positive behavior support planning for challenging behavior, and progress tracking, and it does this all in one place. The Skills Assessment and Curriculum addresses eight areas of development, which even includes advanced higher level areas such as executive functions and cognition, which pretty much makes Skills the only ABA-based set of curricula for teaching more complex skills, things like problem solving, planning, self-management, perspective taking, and even inferring and predicting others' private events. Skills is a four-step system. Step one is to add the child to your account. Step two is to start assessment. The skills assessment is the only ABA-based assessment with psychometric research demonstrating the language subscale to have excellent reliability. Every area of human functioning and typical child development from infancy to adolescence was researched, making the skills assessment the most comprehensive of its kind in the world, and we're quite proud of that. Skills is easy to use. Simply click Start Assessment and begin answering questions, or simply type in a keyword find specific activities to assess, and add activities to treatment. Step three, choose activities. Once you've completed the assessment, Skills selects from a pool of 4,000 activities categorized by age, level, and skill type to provide you with exactly those activities each child needs. Start by choosing a curriculum, then a lesson, and finally an activity. Click the information icon to view prerequisites, ages in which targets develop, examples, and IEP goals. Click the video icon to watch a short video. Once you've identified an activity you want to teach, adding activities to treatment is a snap. Step four, start treatment. Here you can access customizable activity lesson details, add your own customized targets and exemplars, and edit an activity status such as introducing or mastering it. You can even print handouts such as worksheets, tracking forms, visual aids, and other materials. Skills also offers multiple progress charts, mapping curriculum progress, lesson progress, and cumulative number of activities and targets mastered over time. The Skills Language Curriculum is categorized by verbal behavior type so that users can identify progress for verbal operants, such as echoics, mans, tacks, and interverbals. 
Skills is one of the only programs that provides the ability to write behavior intervention plans, or BIPs, for challenging behavior. With just a few clicks, the outline of the behavior intervention plan is written for you and ready to be printed and implemented. You can learn more about Skills today and get started by visiting us at www.skillsforautism.com or you can call us at 877-975-4559. Skills. Progress starts here. Welcome back to Autism Live. I really just want to take a quick second to answer a couple of questions. Somebody had written in and said, uh, thank you for your help and loving support. How do I find waiver applications in California and how long do I have to live there before services begin and, and about waiting lists? Uh, California doesn't have something called a waiver. Um, I know a lot of states do. I know in Illinois that there's a waiver, um, but that's not how they do it in California. California has something called the regional centers. And... Uh, you have to go through a process first with the regional center to become a client with the regional center and then you have to go through a training period and then starts your waiting list time for the regional center so end to end it can be kind of exhaustive um, and it's something that you really kind of have to babysit i would encourage you if you go uh online and look up california regional center then you can get the 800 number and do an intake you, and you can ask you can do one of two things you could either ask them if you can you say you know i'm moving there in two weeks for instance um and i'd like to start the intake process because i it used to be i think it still is where you answer for, first they do a pre-screening screening you answer questions on the phone and then you have a meeting with someone and then eventually your child gets evaluated but i remember it took me three months to get through the regional center process to be a client of the regional center and once you do that your funding can start to kick in if you already have a diagnosis if you don't have a diagnosis it's a little bit longer because then you have to get the diagnosis for them to know what kind of services depending on what your child's age is because if your child is over the age of three they're going to expect the school district in the state of california to provide you services um, if you're under the age of three, there are early start services that they will give you before you have a diagnosis. And then after three, you have to have the diagnosis to have access to things like ABA. Different ABA providers and in different areas will have different waiting times. If you know where you want to live, I would start calling the ABA providers. If you're going to be in the state of California, I really want to encourage you to go first to centerforautism.com. Please don't misunderstand me. There are lots of wonderful ABA providers all over the world. But if I'm going to personally recommend something, then I'm going to recommend to you be with CARD. I know what they deliver. I know that it's quality ABA therapy. And I know you'll be happy with the progress that your child is making. So you can go to their site, centerforautism.com. Look at the several different locations. You can even call those. Different ones have, uh, there are some places that don't have a waiting list right now. There are some that have a shorter waiting list. I know they're trying as hard as possible to make no one wait. But the reality is, is that the need is greater than the, the supply of people to be able to give services. 
years. And it also depends on when your child is available. You'll find that at some offices, if your child is not yet school age and not going to school full time, the availability is probably more likely there. The demand is so high for when school gets out for, for therapists then. So I would encourage you to do that. If you don't already know somebody in California that you can have an arrangement with that maybe while you're moving that you've got an address to be sending things to that might be really advantageous but I I would start the process of the regional center before you start your packing boxes um, and you know let them know I, I have an address there I'm just you know moving between the two places whatever the reality is um, but start as soon as you possibly can all right we're going to take a break and then we are going to be back with Dr. Adele Nadowski stick with us you find out you're having a boy you always think like oh he's gonna play football he's gonna do this and that and then when he's diagnosed all those things get washed away it's like that piece that's always in the back of your mind you know where is he what is he doing is he safe we really didn't know what we were dealing with I wish that they could have directed me a little bit more and provided me some information I was a young mom I didn't know what it was like to raise a boy despite a boy with autism Hundreds of thousands of families are not getting the help they need for their children with autism all around the country. ACT Today is determined to bridge the gap. These families really have to go through a lot to get a grant. The application process isn't easy. The records, the diagnosis proof, they're really battling for their kids. So when we can give them a grant, it is so wonderful to see that they succeed in getting that help for their children. Our founder, Dr. Doreen Grampichet, is an amazing woman, and she is one of the world's foremost authority on behavior of children with autism. She's extremely knowledgeable, and she oversees every single grant we give. She is part of that process. People may think of autism care and treatment as simply schooling or therapy, but you know, we provide important safety supports, things like fencing, for example. The whole family's living in fear of that child running out into traffic. I recently delivered an iPad to a little boy with some of the apps that are out there for children with autism. Miracles happen. I got the iPad from ACT. From ACT, What yeah. did it say? Can you repeat that, Dustin? I got the iPad from that. We have helped so many military families. And when I think of these brave families that are fighting two battles, one to protect our country and one for the right treatment and care for their children, it, it breaks my heart. And I think we have to do more as a nation to help them. There's not a day that doesn't go by that we don't think about it. Some people say, oh, he's normal. You don't see the battles that I see every single day. My husband does have to deploy, and when they get on that bus, that might be the last time that my kids ever see them. So I called, and then they informed me that he had received the grant, which was like a blessing from above. I was just like speechless. I just started to cry because, you know, without it, we would, we would have been lost. The ACT grant was a total miracle, and without that, they wouldn't be able to receive a service dog, so we're so appreciative what they've done for us as a family. 
recently. ACT Today funded a program for military children with autism in San Diego, the Inclusion Films program, which is run by Joey Travolta, and teaches uh, kids on the autism spectrum literal filmmaking skills. They learn how to make a movie. We're ready? There you go, got it. Okay. Everything that goes into the process of making a film goes into everyday life. So they're learning life skills, they're learning to collaborate. It was really nice to know how much they were enjoying this camp and they're with people who are supporting them and are making them feel great about themselves and their differences and their similarities. And I get two kids that are working together and apart and together and apart, so it's an interrelationship as well as a camp and a learning experience. It's so fulfilling when I get letters. One stands out for me, a, a boy who was 14 with Asperger's, and we gave him a grant to go to a drama camp. He wrote to us and said, Dear Act Today, thank you for letting me belong for the first time in my life. These kids are remarkable. You know, we underestimate them. They're so knowledgeable, they're so capable, and we can change the life of a family, which means changing the life of a community. Welcome back to Autism Live. Our very special guest in the studio now that we're welcoming back because we haven't had you for a couple of weeks, Dr. Adele Nadowski is with us. Welcome back. Yeah, woohoo, I'm back. I, I love that you're back. I really, I missed you. You and uh, Dr. Jonathan Tarbox, we are normally our regulars on Thursdays, and then you were finishing the book. Yeah, the book. The book, uh, the big book. Yes. And uh, it's all done now, I understand. Yes, yes, yes. Congratulations. 14 months. Wow. that project but um that's know, some ef skills right there right <laughs> yeah i think we did one of the things i suggested on a previous show which was made a graph um figured out how many days working days there were um between you know the start and the deadline and how many pages that would mean per day needed to be written which was 3.3 and um, Jonathan used to update that graph every day and he had a bunch of people working on different chapters and he would reach out and say how many pages are you up to and he would update the graph and then you could basically see the trajectory line we we're supposed to be on and how we would be behind or whatever and we'd all start to stress out and then we'd like work really hard and it'd jump above the line and we'd be like yes and then of course when that happens you kind of just sit back you don't do anything <laughs> for a little bit and then it would you know up and yeah. down but um but you yeah. got it done. Yeah. On schedule. Got it done. That's really amazing. Yeah. I want you to make an app like that <laughs> that you can plug in the goal and how many days you have and have it and how many work how many working days. I want you to make an app like that so that we well, can all use it. We have that. an app developer upstairs making all this stuff. This could be helpful for people on the spectrum, don't you think? I absolutely do, but I think it would be helpful for everyone. Yeah. Uh, so maybe so I'll just give them my idea. There, <laughs> if you would step up there on the way out and tell them and say, you know, Shannon for one needs this app. Because there are things that I need to get done and, and I I know how to do that, but I won't take the time to do I know. all the things that you have to do to make the materials. But if I had it in an app, I would do it today. Yeah, and Jonathan was the one updating the graph and he would ask me probably, you know, once a week, how many pages are you up to? And I would cringe every time because yeah. if the number, the needle hadn't moved at all, I would, you know, be embarrassed. Yeah. I didn't want to tell him. Yeah. 
So that's helpful too when you're working that, with a group. That's know? called accountability. That's what they tell you <laughs> yeah. is important to achieve any goal, right? Accountability, right. that somebody's yeah. checking up on you and that you'll be cringing and embarrassing, <laughs> embarrassed if you don't get the work done. Okay, all of this is fascinating. We'll keep you updated on whether Dr. Nadowski gets an app made. Uh, we'll call it the Dr. Adele EF app. Wouldn't that be great? I, that I would, would be. I would buy it. Uh, in any case, Dr. Nadowski is, is so wonderful and we're so glad to have her here. She was one of the co-creators of Skills, and she has extensive experience working with individuals on the autism spectrum. She's a wonderful resource. We call this Real Progress with Dr. Adele because she helps us to get to the, pro the progress, which is ultimately what this is all about, right? Getting to the progress. It's going to look different for everybody. Everybody's going to make different progress, but we want to get to the progress. Okay. So we're, we're really heading into IEP season. Yes. It, it is the season, as they say. And I was sharing with Dr. Nadowski that it can be a very stressful time for parents and teachers and school administrators, right? Because everybody needs to come together for a meeting and have an agreement about what is appropriate for an individual child for the coming year. It's a legal document. Everybody's going to sign off on it. But my question to Dr. Nadowski is, how do we know what goals are age and skill appropriate when we're sitting in an IEP meeting. And and I'm saying that as a parent, but I'm, you know, I'm also a little bit like how does the teacher know? How how does anybody know what skills are age and skill appropriate for an individual child? Yeah. Well, um, unfortunately, the only way to know is to do a lot of research. You have to go and look up um, different uh, developmental milestones um, from various tools or assessments, the Common Core, um, the state standards for your district, but even so, sometimes, you know, those are just focusing mainly on the academic goals. Right. So then you still have to worry about, you know, the fact that you're dealing with the person on the spectrum. They don't just yeah. need to deal with academics when they're at school. They have a lot more things that the school is providing education with respect to. And thank you for saying that because I, I feel a little bit like there is that there always were the, the core standards for individual states. Now there's the common core, which I think is great. We need to have a measuring place, right? A place to measure yeah. off of. But it's this is not one size fits all. It, that's why it's called an individualized education plan. So how do we know what's appropriate for the individual child? Yeah, and the thing is, is like you can go to those things and you can find out what age or what um, grade or something uh, these items are appropriate for. But you don't necessarily know if um, your child has the prerequisite skills to even work on those. Right. Because if they're behind, they could have other things from last year that are not even going to be on the list anymore that they first need to get before they can work on the current things. So you really need to also go to more like a developmental or um, skills assessment that actually um, takes you through like everything that... Um, your son or daughter should be able to do at their particular age right now mm -hmm. and then in order to really participate and to provide anything useful to the IEP team. And for those of you who don't know, Skills is an online tool. It's available to all of you. It's it's something that teachers can and do use, but it's something that parents can and do use as well. I'm one of them. I use it and love it. And you can go and, and sign up for a 14-day free trial at Skills for Autism, autism spelled out, F-O-R, autism.com. Yeah. Uh, and try that out. So that's one portion of it that it's got the assessment, mm -hmm. um, but then there is a curriculum with goals attached to it, oh. Yeah, yeah, and that's the other thing, too, is, like, even once you know what items um, they should be working on based on what 
deficits they have, their age, and you know what if they've already got prerequisite skills in place and stuff like that, is um, how do you write an IEP goal? Yeah. And how do you know if the IEP goal is really a good reflection of um, your child's progress? And there is some literature out there to suggest that an IEP goal is good if it's measurable um, and, you know, can be measured objectively and things like that. So you got to be wary when you see an IEP goal that says something like my child or um, the child by X date will uh, be more friendly yeah, or something like that. Because what exactly does friendly mean? Yeah. What is, you know, you have to define what you mean by friendly. What is it you're trying to increase? Is it in social initiations? Is it greeting other people? Um, you know, saying goodbye, making eye contact, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. But those are the kind of things you want to look for in goals is actual behaviors. And then also for them to indicate how it's going to be measured yeah. and how it's going to be considered mastered. So they can't just say by X date they will be able to give eye contact. Um, well, you need to say something like it will be measured as demonstrated across X settings, yeah. people setting, or um, sessions, whatever, days. Um, at a certain percentage range or something like that. And and by the way, skills helps you to do that. Yeah, it I gives mean, all you... the goals are already written in there, so you could potentially. Um, and they're, they're the type of goals where it's um, meant to be individualized. So each goal has like little fill-in-the-blank sections, and yeah. it's very obvious what it is you're supposed to put in those sections, yeah. um, like the date, the settings you're going to require the skill in, what percentage correct, across how many um, days, who's, all those who's things. Who's responsible for measuring yeah, but the, it? but the actual thing you're measuring, like I was saying, yeah. what constitutes bringing friendly or something like that, that's already spelled out for you in the goals. Yes. Yeah. So you don't have to do all this research. You don't have to do, if you have skills, you really could sit down as a parent and, and if you've already done the assessment for your child, you can easily look up a goal and see, is this a skill and age appropriate for my child? Or if you want to add a skill in to your child's IEP, you can go through, find something that's already appropriate because it will only recommend things that are age and skill appropriate for your child. And, it, and it's already spelled out just fill in the blank some basic information and you've got the IEP goal it's kind yeah. of amazing yeah you did that one year didn't you I've done that two years oh, now okay. now I, it's just amazing are you gonna do it again I, of course I'm gonna do it oh, again okay, cool. I, I I look at everything through skills when I have to prepare it used to uh, preparing for an IEP before I used to make myself crazy I would make myself sick I would stay up for a week and I'm a former teacher so I, I the first time I was looking up the goals for preschool in the state of New Jersey. I, I don't live in the state of New Jersey, but supposedly they had really good preschool school goals. And I, I have to bring in sometime the book that I put together with all these tabs because I didn't have skills and I made yeah. myself sick. Yeah. And it really wasn't helpful to me because I was no closer to knowing, is this what's appropriate for my child? Yeah. Whereas with skills, I can look it up and I'm done in a half an hour for the oh whole IEP. Gosh. And you just copy and paste the goals like onto a yeah, Word document and I print them out. Bring them in, yeah. And I bring them in and go here. And how does the team like that? What is their reaction? They, the first time they went, <laughs> what is this? And it, they got excited. They literally got excited because what I realized in that moment is that they really, really want to help your child. And, and that you can always tell good teachers when they get excited about themselves learning and about the opportunity to gain a new tool to help somebody else learn. That's awesome. And I saw them all get excited and, and say, we can do that. That would make you happy and that would help him. We can absolutely do that. I got more services.
Yeah. My child got a recreational aid, which I didn't even know that existed. Because of one of your goals? Yes. Because what was the of goal? I, I said that I wanted, because I, when I was going through my wish list for that year about what I wanted for him in the IEP, and I said, where are deficits? And I looked at skills to see where my child's deficits were. And I saw that, uh, and I thought about in our lives, and I thought, you know, he really needs help socially. And what's a great time to do that in? So I picked social goals. I picked a play skill. I picked a social language skill. And I picked... Um, uh, an EF goal. And, and so, and I said, I want these worked on, um, during recess time. Oh. And I printed them out and said, here they are for, for recess time. And they looked at them and said, is he having trouble, um, socializing with the kids out on the playground? And I said, yeah. And they said, oh, well, has he been evaluated for a recreational aid? And I, and I said, <laughs> uh-huh, a what, a who, a where? Uh, I, excuse me, tell me again. And they said, a recreational aid. We, we you know, we contract with a rec... And this amazing woman from UCLA came in and evaluated him and then came into his classroom and did a bunch of exercises in his classroom to help the other kids to be able to get... Because part of the problem wasn't just my son. Yeah. We discovered that the other kids in the classroom didn't have the social skills to cope either. So it helped everybody. Oh, that's great. It's amazing. Absolutely Good. amazing. Well, I'm glad to hear it was 30 minutes and very low stress, it sounds like, this time. And, and it will be again this year. And it will be again this year because I, you know, and each year I have less and less to be concerned about, right? Yeah. Um, and I know, I think the worst thing for a parent is to walk into a meeting and to feel like you don't know what you're doing. And that's what a lot of parents tell me that, and I remember that's what it felt like for me at an IEP meeting. I would sit there and think, what if I make a mistake? It feels like you're out of control, huh? Yeah. Like chaos. What if I make a mistake and my child doesn't get something he needed because I don't know what I'm doing? Right. I didn't get educated. I didn't get enough information. I mean, that's the worst gaping, horrible feeling in the world. Well, because I guess you're your child's best advocate. That's, I, I mean, I know that and I feel that and that's what everybody tells us, right? If you yeah. don't do it, who else will? And you go, but I don't have, I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the ability to put these things together. So you end up listening to the expert across the table. Yeah. And sometimes that, that trust is warranted, but then, you know, then you learn, no, in some cases. So what if your child's going to school, but then they also have ABA services on the side? Is it okay for the ABA, um, supervisor to bring in or to supply you with goals and to come to the meeting and things like that. That happens, right? Yes, we absolutely used to do that. But you're not in that boat anymore. We're not in that boat so anymore. So that's why you were stressed. I get it. Yes. Okay. But even, I will be honest with you, even when we were having our supervisor come to the meeting, I still had that feeling, you know, the school would still give us all these goals and I, and I would still have that feeling that I had a responsibility to know what was going on. I leaned very heavily on our supervisor to put behavioral goals in that would help support the educational goals. But your funding really doesn't allow for your ABA provider to go over your educational goals. Got it. They really don't. Yeah. They like don't your insurance that. company is not going to pay for your supervisor to weed through all of your child's school goals because the school psychologist and the, the, the BCBA on the school side are supposed to do that. But they have so many kids to go over. 
it really comes down to the teacher. And I think a lot of times the teachers feel overwhelmed and they want to do what's best for the child too, but they weren't there for all the testing. If you think about it, it's really a recipe for disaster. <laughs> but, but skills puts the ball back in everybody's court. A teacher could do it and know that they were being appropriate and giving an individualized plan for the child. A parent could do it and check everything and say, I agree with this, I want to add this, or this doesn't make sense. This is too far along for him or her, and this is not far enough. Skills really gives everybody the skills in a very good way. So, you know, we owe you a big thanks. You owe a bunch of people. <laughs> But but you headed the team and that you you know yeah. that's huge. Yeah. You had I know I walked by and you had a chart saying we need to make sure we get this done by this day. Yeah. You EF'd that thing to death. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I grateful. am very good at EF. You so, are good at yes. EF. Uh, so we thank you for that. We uh we have, I, I, I was supposed to ask you, we, we've spent so much time, but uh, we have this new feature on the show that you guys are aware of that, and it's uh, on our YouTube page where we're doing the top 100 questions about autism and where every time we have one of our experts here, we're asking them to answer in two minutes or less. So, <laughs> so it's like a challenge. It's yeah. uh, like uh, Jeopardy. Um, but our question for Dr. Adele Nadowski is, does ABA work for older? kids? That can be answered in 10 seconds. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. It works for any age. Um, if you think about it, ABA um, as a science is used with all different populations, not just autism or developmental disabilities. And it's used to teach things and it's used to change behavior. So absolutely it can be used. We've used it in many different sites with adults um, with developmental disabilities. There's tons of research out there of individual studies showing um, using ABA is effective of reducing challenging behavior and teaching adaptive skills. Okay. Um, we don't necessarily have a ton of outcome studies to show you know uh, the same you know 50% achieve normal functioning or anything, but I think that's a lot to do with just not really having those studies done. You know what I mean? So if somebody so. is hearing, they've gone and they've got their eight-year-old or their 10-year-old, and they've said, what about this ABA that I hear everybody talk about? And somebody says, oh, unfortunately, your child is too old. That's incorrect. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that because we have all this research with younger children for um, early intensive behavioral intervention, sometimes people make the conclusion of, oh, okay, so ABA is effective and uh, works really well with young kids, and then they kind of like jump to the next conclusion with, which is, so it's not appropriate for older kids. But it's really not the case, it's just that we need to, as a field, start producing more research with older kids and really see what outcomes are we getting. We might not get the same outcomes, but we're teaching things and we're making better lives for people. You know what I mean? So, absolutely, um, absolutely any age, ABA Great. will work, yes. All right, for all of you listening, make sure, no matter what the age of the individual that you're wanting to help, that you reach out and get good quality ABA services. We are out of time already. We didn't even take a break. I just ran you through the whole That's thing okay. without taking a break. But I thank you so much. And we have you back next week? Yes. Okay. Very excited about that. And you guys can be writing in questions. If you have a specific question for Dr. Adele Nadowski, you can be writing it in ahead of time. I know I was in a different office yesterday and somebody had a question about skills. And, oh. and I was saying, you know, you can always tell them that they can write into the show that we have Dr. Nadowski on uh, once a week. And you tend to know more than anybody else inside and outside having to do with skills yeah so i still have it all up in there somewhere that's all <laughs>
It's a great thing. Uh, so thank you so much for being with us. We hope you have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. We are going to take a break. And then when we come back, we're going to be joined by Michelle Haskell, who is uh, going to be talking to us about an ABA provider in Virginia that is a nonprofit and some of the different things that they do and, and what implications that has when an ABA provider is nonprofit. So stick with us. Hi, I'm Ryan with Autism Research Group. We study ways to improve the lives of kids with autism. One of those ways is teaching safety skills, such as what to do if they get lost. We hit the streets to find out if anybody knows the correct answer on how to teach a kid what to do if they get lost. You're teaching a child. What to do if they get lost. Yeah, you're trying to okay. make them independent so they have the skills. Gotcha, okay. Well, give them a compass. Codename's good idea, Centurion. We always have this whistle. Um. Oh, I'd also tell the kid, I tell the kid, don't get scared. It's all you're gonna be alright, man. This is just the world. You're this is planet Earth. You're at home here. As long as you're on planet Earth, you're at home. As long as you're on planet Earth, you're home. This guy's a genius. With that flawless logic, he just solved our homeless problem. And as for the unique sounding whistle, although very cool, it'll probably only work if you're in close proximity. And a compass. I have her call me. Yeah, she doesn't have a phone. Parents are like, you're too young, you don't need a phone. Establish some sort of like meeting place. What if they can't find a meeting place? Because sometimes Ooh. the kids get nervous when they get lost. Yeah. Is there like a backup plan? Well, like well, plan B? Yeah, I don't know. No, not really. Let them go and find a new kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a different one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not much you can do. There is I stuff like... you can do. That's right, there is stuff you can do. In 2012, myself, along with my colleagues, Dr. Jonathan Tarbox and Dr. Adele Nadowski, published a study in the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis on teaching kids what to do when they get lost. The study demonstrated how three simple things, rules, role-playing, and praise, were effective in establishing these help-seeking behaviors. The benefit of this method is it doesn't require the child to have a cell phone or to have to locate a meeting place, which might be difficult if they're in a place like Disneyland. So once again, our method included rules, role-playing, and praise. Let's head back outside and learn about some of these rules. They should yell out loud. Can't find my mom, my mom, help me. Maybe yell out and scream for help. All right, scream really loud. Correct. And if that doesn't work, then... I don't know. Well, they could seek help from someone. Find an adult. Yeah, go to a vendor, you know, and say I'm lost. Find an adult, like a police officer or a fireman or an employee in the store, and tell them, and maybe they can help you contact your parent. It really is that simple. You don't need to get your kid a cell phone. You don't need to establish a meeting place that they might not be able to find when they're lost and panicking. And you definitely don't need to give them a compass. All your kid has to do is three things. First, yell mom or dad real loud. Two, if that doesn't work, find an employee, and then third, tell the employee they're lost. If they can't locate an employee, then tell them to find a mother with children, because that's probably the safest person to approach. I'm not saying that most men are predators, but most predators are men. That is a fact. I've read it in a fortune cookie. All right, so you've gone over the rules with your kid, and you've quizzed them, and they're able to tell you the correct responses so they understand the rules, but is that enough? How do you know they're gonna perform correctly in a real world setting? You need to get out there and find out if they can actually do it. So you'd go over the rules and tell them like, do this, do that, but how would you know if they actually knew what to do? If you wanted to shoot a basketball, and I just told you, oh, when you shoot a basketball, do this, this, and this. 
never practice. You never practice. Yeah, so it doesn't matter how many times we go over the rules or how well you can repeat them back to me. It's not going to change until you get on the court and practice. Maybe do uh, like a, you know, a little skit with them. Like a role play. Role like... play. Yeah. Your child. You're lost in the toy aisle. Okay. What do you do? I'm an attendant walking around. <laughs> I'm lost. I don't know where my mom is. And then once you practice, you just like praise them, give them feedback, like good job, you did it. Yes, this woman wins the prize for best comment. She pointed out the most important part of learning, reinforcement. Now in our study, we used praise, but for your kid, you might have to use something else. You might have to buy them a treat, a toy, take them to their favorite restaurant where they can eat unhealthy food and run around and climb through plastic tunnels that have the unmistakable scent of urine and then play games spending $20 to get a plastic little spider ring that they will eventually lose in a ball pit. The point is, you need to reward your child for correctly demonstrating what you've been teaching them. Okay, I'm gonna call her. Hello, your child, Ryan. <laughs> so you tested it out I'll in the store <laughs> to make sure I knew it. I had the rules, yes. we role played it and you made sure I knew it, and then like you said, good job, and all that. Now we're good to go. We're good to go. All right. Done? High five right there. <laughs> yeah. So there you have it. Give your child the rules, get out there and practice, and reward your child for responding correctly. For more information, please visit us online at autismresearchgroup.org. I'm Ryan Bergstrom. Thanks for watching. Yes, ding, no. <laughs> Yes, this woman wins the first. Yes, this woman. Yes, this woman wins the best. Yes, this woman wins the first place. Yes, this woman. Why can't I say woman? Yes, this woman wins. What's the line? Yes. Welcome back to Autism Live. We are so thrilled that for the first time we have Michelle Haskell joining us via Skype. She is coming to, to us from the Maya Alofa Autism Support Center. Michelle, welcome to Autism Live. Thank you, Miss Shannon, and you did a beautiful job with the pronunciation there. Well, all morning long I've been slaughtering it, and all week I've been slaughtering it, so I'm glad I finally got it right, but so thrilled to have you here. Tell our viewers at home, I've been talking about the fact that your organization, you're an ABA provider, you're an autism support center, and you're a 501c3, so tell us a little bit about what all those things mean. Right, so the Maya Lofa Autism Support Center, as you said, Ms. Shannon, is a nonprofit organization, and we really have three main goals, or three parts to our mission. The first and foremost is to deliver high-quality ABA therapy to children affected by autism. Um, and second, to go hand-in-hand -hand with that, is to support their families. ABA is driven by making socially significant improvements in lives, and we really aim to support and embrace the entire family to improve their quality of life. And then the third tier to our mission is to just raise community awareness about what autism is, about the kiddos and the families affected by autism, and how amazing and cool our clients really are. Awesome. And where are you guys located, Michelle? We are located in Chesapeake, Virginia. It's kind of in the, we call it the Hampton Roads area, um, right by the beach, right off of Virginia Beach. And if somebody wants more information about your organization, where can they go to find out information? Yeah, the best place would be to start at the web. If you Google us, you can Google the Mayalofa Autism Support Center. Our website is learnwithmask.com. 
dot org. Okay. So mask is M-A-S-C dot org. Wonderful. And they can check you out there. So tell us a little bit about what is different about being, you know, there are lots of ABA providers out there, but you're the first one that I've been aware of that is a nonprofit. What does that mean and as a difference? Well, for us, we have the opportunity here to serve a wide variety of families. We do have a large military population, and we're fortunate to be able to work with them and the insurance that they're provided to deliver services to those families. But there's a lot of families who have different insurance or whose insurance doesn't cover the much-needed ABA therapy. Um, so as a nonprofit, we're able to work with a variety of insurances as well as cash clients. So. We discount our services for some of those cash clients. We also, because we do a lot of fundraising um, and community events, we're able to provide some pro bono services to families who otherwise would not be able to get their hands on this crucial therapy. I think that's really remarkable. We need to have more of that in the world. Uh, so I really want to encourage people, if they're in the Virginia area, to definitely give you a look-see because that's that's truly, truly remarkable. And um, to participate in some of the fundraising things that you have. Now, Michelle, you mentioned that you try to help the entire family. What kind of services do you have to help the family? Right. So um, we start, we have a clinic and we have a lot of one-on-one -on -one therapy with kids in our clinic, but we also provide in-home therapy and school consultations. Now, in addition to the therapy we do directly with the children, um, we provide parent training. We also have a resource library at our clinic. Um, we want to get good information out to parents. We want to share the current research with them. Um, we want to teach them to advocate for their children. Um, we also will work with siblings and kind of those social interactions that can be really difficult. So there's times where we'll have families come in or we'll go out to the home and we'll work with siblings because that's another area that's very difficult for our clients. Really remarkable. And now, Michelle, we tell our viewers a lot of times that they want to be looking for a quality ABA provider. And when they find one, that to, to really lean into them to help figure out what their insurance covers and what it doesn't cover. When somebody calls you and says, I don't know what my insurance covers, do you are you guys willing to, to find that out for them? Absolutely. We have a wonderful office manager. Her name is also Michelle. Um, she's the important Michelle. She's the one that kind of helps with all of those things. She spends countless hours working with families, working with those insurance companies, and she's made connections with a lot of those insurance companies that help us to kind of push the paperwork through that can be held up for so long. Well, I think that you, what you guys are doing is absolutely remarkable. Again, we want to tell people if they want more information to go to Learn With Mask, but mask is spelled m-a-s-c dot org and then they can find out more information and if there are people in the area i would imagine that when you do fundraisers and things that you're happy to take volunteers and uh to participate with you absolutely absolutely we love to involve the community um, we have an annual golf tournament that's a big fundraiser for us we're planning you know april's coming up with the autism awareness month and we're planning a carnival and we're going to encourage not only our families but all families throughout the hampton roads area to attend to participate to get to know us get to partner with us well michelle i appreciate all the good work that you're doing there and uh, we love to hear stories like yours i think it's a it's a wonderful thing 
Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. We are going to take a break and we're going to go to the A Word. This is a documentary that's being made here at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders, following a little boy who's getting some of that good quality ABA therapy. So take a look at this. We'll be back in just a few minutes. doing a lot more on his own even just when I attempt him by just holding the object not necessarily asking him to imitate more he, cat, that's right he does do it on his own now which is really cool good asking buddy his receptive labels, so what I just did basically, 
and um, our supervisor had written down things that's in his environment that he might not know or that he might know the labels to or if he's just seen it or heard um, the label for it, not necessarily know how to say it per se. And um, I, I just went through block, guitar, bear, um, plane, cat with him. And so he actually knows all of them. So I'm actually going to go through his environment just to see other things like choose. He actually knew almost everything on here except fork, I think. Yeah. So that's actually really impressive. You amaze me every day, kiddo. We're taking a walk. We just finished dinner, getting ready to go to bed. But part of our after dinner tradition suddenly has been to take a walk. Make sure. Say, come on, Mama. Come on, Mama. Right, Jack? And now we say, stop. practicing our stops and goes. Stop. Go. Go. Good stopping. Go. Stop. Go. Good stopping, Jack. Stop. Go. Go. Good stopping. Good job, love. Look at me. Say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Such a sweet and precious little boy, that one. So and in this particular episode, they are beginning to work on some of these different things to help them to, uh, to stop him from eloping. Uh, Emily just showed you the YouTube site where you can go to be watching this entire series. It's so important. Uh, I, I was here when they had just filmed the very first episode of the A word. And I got so excited and I and I'll be honest with you I was so worried that the time it was going to take so much time and effort and energy and and ultimately, you know, that's that's dollars, right? To be able to track this to the point where it was really going to be beneficial. And and I remember saying, you know, boy, once there's 2 years worth of videotapes, it's going to be such a service to the autism community. And now I believe there are three, three years worth of videotapes following this little boy through his therapy. For all of you out there who are wondering what quality ABA therapy looks like, this is a window in. Now it's not, uh, when we were at the, the event on Saturday that I was talking about the other day, the Fullerton Cares, and by the way, somebody wanted to know how can I see those videos. We're going to start debuting those in April. So we had a lot of interviews that we did at the Fullerton cares Mardi Gras. You'll see those in April. It's part of a campaign that we're doing in April. So stay tuned for that. But um, one of the people who came up to me at the event um, that was talking to me and uh, talking about their daughter and and very young daughter, I don't think she's yet three, and, and has a diagnosis of autism. And he said, you know, when I, I always, you know, I'll ask, you know, how old is your child? How are you doing? Do you have a diagnosis yet? And then usually the next question I ask is, are you getting good quality ABA therapy? Um, because, and then, then after that, I'll, I'll say, how many hours are you getting, right? Because 
And, and if somebody says, you know, yes, we're getting good quality ABA therapy and we're getting 40 hours a week, then I can move on to other things. Are you finding ways to, you know, stay healthy yourself? Are you finding ways to keep food on the table? What's your biggest concern? What's your biggest worry, right? But until you have those things in place, you know, those that's sort of the priority list for me. And, and it also helps me gauge what you might need because I'm there to help, right? So this dad came up and he was talking about his daughter and wanting to know about what we had going on and I said have you do you have good quality ABA and he said no and I said okay so what are we doing about that how do we need to make that happen because I know that in California in California everyone should be covered because if you don't have the insurance there is insurance that you can get through the state of California covered California and then if you don't have that then there's the regional center right so you should be covered no matter what sometimes there's a lot of hoops to go through but you should be covered so I said what why what's holding you back what's the issue here what do you need help with and he said well you know my wife tends to watch she watched a couple of videos and she was a little turned off uh, which I completely understand because uh, the first couple of videos that I ever saw about ABA therapy, I, I said, I have no idea how this would be useful to anybody. It was a kid sitting at a table and somebody was putting a flashcard and the child was saying things and that was it. And, and I thought, well, okay, first of all, my child's not speaking. So, you know, how is it helpful for him? And second of all, you could never get him to sit in a chair at a table and have somebody do flashcards. He'd be up and gone. What are you talking about? gone poof out of there um so it made no sense to me whatsoever because it's out of context right and even when you're watching the a word you're not seeing the whole picture i need you to understand that but you'll see a much more realistic picture than just somebody at a table you'll see how they play with them you'll see how they take him out for walks you'll see how they're in the hallway working on stop and go you'll see how they get him to sit in a chair how they get him to come to them when they say come here how they get him to understand that good things will happen when I do what you ask me to do. So I really want to encourage you to check out the A word and you have the opportunity on their Facebook page to interact with the parents as well and ask questions. Uh, you can do that on our show as well too, but the parents will write in frequently on their Facebook page and tell about what's happening and what they're going through. You have a, a, an opportunity to support them and get support back from them. They are remarkable people, remarkable, big hearted people. All right. So I hope that you will participate in the A word. I hope you will use it as a tool in whatever way that you need it because it is a multifaceted tool. And I hope and pray every day that if you have a loved one on the autism spectrum that you will make it your goal to get good quality ABA therapy as soon as possible. And if you need help doing that, I'm here for you. Let's figure it out. Let's chase it down. Let's figure out what the services are available in your, your state. I, it's amazing to me because sometimes you guys write in and if you give me a phone number or you give me an email, you know, sometimes it takes me a little while to get back to you, but eventually I do. And you're all surprised when I do, but that's, that's really what, what I mean when I say, reach out, let's figure it out. I really want to help you figure it out. Okay. Uh, having said that, let's take another break and then we're going to be back with more of the show. And I believe that Dr. Jonathan Tarbox is here. So stick with us. Hi guys, welcome back to Smarty. This month we're gonna make some gluten-free Play-Doh. It's a great activity because A, I know a lot of our kids have an allergy to gluten, and B, it's super cheap and cost-effective to make your own. 
So let's get started. The materials you'll be needing are one cup of white rice flour, half a cup of cornstarch, half a cup of salt, one tablespoon of cream of tartare, one and a half teaspoons of vegetable oil, one cup of water, food coloring, a saucepan, and a spatula. So as you guys can see, I'm in my kitchen because I'm gonna be using the stove top to make the Play-Doh. First what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take my pot and fill it up with all the dry ingredients, okay? dry ingredients in the saucepan, I'm now going to add the what ones, the vegetable oil and water. I'm going to turn the pan onto low heat and continue stirring. What I want to make sure happens is that it gets solidified and gooky looking, you'll see in a second, but not overcooked, okay? You're just trying to get the materials to kind of congeal. You know the dough is ready. So what you're going to do is you're going to just take it off the stovetop and let it cool. Once it's cool, then you're gonna add your coloring, and boom, you've got gluten-free Play-Doh. Well, I hope you enjoyed the Play-Doh with your kids. Until next time, craft on, guys. Can you see me flying by your side? Welcome back. We always ask a question of the day, and I'm just checking in on some of the things that you guys wrote in on today's question. Our question today was, uh, what has been the hardest thing about getting your insurance to pay for autism therapies? And I love, um, and of course I just did a bad thing and made it go away. Um, what on earth have I done? There we go. I should not be allowed to ever use technology. Let's just say that. Okay, so um, somebody wrote in and said, I wish that they would pay for Dan visits and all those labs and expensive diets. At least it's tax deductible. But what do you do when you're out of funding and you know it works and your wallet is empty? I wish insurances understood the urgency of autism treatment. Shannon, can you talk about the GAPS diet? I've heard good things, and if you can translate all that into plain English like you did with ABA, maybe I will get it with a, with a happy face face. Uh, thank you and love, love, love your show. And we love, 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 love you. Okay. So, uh, let's take this apart. And yes, you're right. The insurance company is not going to pay for the Dan. Um, and for those of you who don't know, um, Dan is still a phrase that I use frequently. It was for an organization um, that was the, it, it spelled out Defeat Autism Now, that no longer exists. Um, but the doctors, we still refer to them as Dan doctors, right? But they're, they're MAPS doctors now, but I'm still comfortable with saying Dan. It just rolls tripling off my tongue too. But in any case, they're doctors who are specialized and have specialized treatment. Um, that they've gone through different classes to be able to, and they get together and share information about what's working with their different clients um, medically. Um, so that's, they're talking about the biomedical kinds of things that you do with kids. It can be so enlightening. And we have had, we've done a little bit on that, but not enough. It's, it's really, these people are so busy, it's hard to book them to be on the show. But I, several times we've asked to have somebody on to talk about the GAPS diet. And I, you know what, for you, I We'll get it done um, because there are things that I want clarified too because things change from time to time so um, in any case uh, I love that you know that it's tax deductible and a little shout out we had Yolanda Baker on the show last year about this time that she's got a great book out there that's called bite your bills and you can go to bite your bills I think com to get it and it really is an amazing book to tell you about what's deductible how you do it on your taxes really amazing uh, 
good information that you wouldn't find anyplace else. Mom of a child that has some medical needs. So check out YolandaBakersBiteYourBills.com um, to find out how to tax deduct the, the different things, you know, gluten-free bread. $7.50 a loaf, and the loaf is teeny tiny. Go figure. Uh, okay, but what do you do when you're out of funding and you know it works and your wallet is empty? Well, lots of people have done lots of different things, and I will tell you that when that happened with us, right, we were, you know, knee-deep in ABA therapy, but we knew that we needed to get our child healthy, and I couldn't afford the testing. Now, the first thing that I did was that I talked to my doctor about it, and he said, here are the tests that I need run that your pediatrician can order. And, it, and they, your insurance will pay for them. So that's a first, you know, big asterisk. Um, ask your, the, the Dan or the MAPS doctor that you're working with, what can I run through the insurance? Now, if you're working with somebody in your state, they can run them and put it through your insurance. In our case, we were working with somebody who was from out of state and it was a whole big hoo-ha, but we took back that to the pediatrician and said, hey, we need this blood test done. And he was happy to do that. Um, so run everything you can through your insurance, right? Even if you think, oh, well, you know, uh, I don't want to run it through the insurance because of this sometimes you meet your deductible and if you do then you get a lot more done in the rest of the year so make sure that you account for everything with your insurance company then also want to encourage you if you're doing something like methyl b12 shots to call your insurance company and go through the useless process of asking them to pay for it now here's why because when you do they will say oh that's considered experimental most insurance companies won't pay for it there are a rare few who do now why do they pay for it because hundreds of parents came before you and and said, I'm going to be doing this with my child. I have a prescription for it. I want you to cover it. They say, no, but we'll put it on the list of things. And when enough people request it, then they investigate it. And eventually, sometimes they put it in. So go through the process when you have time. It won't be your highest priority, right? But it helps everybody else down the road if you do that. And then we, after we were done with all of those kinds of things, we had a fundraiser. That's what we did to be able to afford our biomedical, the first, because the tests can be so expensive in the beginning. You can also find a doctor who's willing to work with you to not have to do every single test, but if you really want to do every single test, feel free to have, I know people who have had a car wash. Uh, we live in the LA area and have lots of friends who are actors. And so we had an evening and we asked all of our friends who are actors to get up. Uh, we found a restaurant that would, allow us to have a fundraiser and participate in it with us and we had a, a silent auction we had amazing things there that were donated by wonderful people that were friends of friends adrian barbeau who is a wonderful fabulous actress and who is very good friends with a friend of mine sent things for us to auction at the auction of course we've had the the soup nazi larry thomas on the show before because he went to college with my husband and he donated things for our auction it was really quite amazing and we were able to raise a lot of money for that that paid for everything that my son needed to do um, for that beginning of biomedical. It was life-changing, truly, truly life-changing. And I know other people that have, you know, it's like you think about what your resources are. Do you know somebody who has a restaurant? Do you know somebody that has a business? You know, what 
and and think about what would help them too because in the end the fundraiser that we had at that restaurant a whole bunch of people went to that restaurant for the first time and they had repeat business as a result of it so you know sometimes people are more than happy to do something with you i know somebody else who had a friend who was a car dealer that helped them to do a fundraiser through the car dealer um so think about it and think about what's what would be a good way but also um check into that united care children's fund that um has the ability sometimes to provide grants and i mentioned yesterday autism care and treatment today they absolutely will give grants for those kinds of testing that you need to do and to be able to pay for the medicines so there are grants that are available and um if you can't wait for that you can do lend for health they absolutely lend money to parents you do have to pay that one back but at least you pay it back on a smaller payment and get you started then we had one other person who uh wrote in bill wong who's been on our show before who was both on the spectrum and an ot and he wrote in about the fact that the regional centers don't generally fund for services for teens for and adults um and that that's really really challenging you know they just were talking about this at the um the, the summit that they had the other day about insurance and parents were saying that to Senator Bill or uh, Daryl Steinberg, excuse me. And um, you should know that in the autism insurance reform, there is no age cap. So many parents were saying, well, we were told that we aged out. Go back to the regional center and say, mm-mm, and go back to your insurance provider and say, mm-mm, there is no age cap. I, I realize it's a bit of a fight, um, but it can be surmounted. In any case, we are going to take a break, and we're going to be right back with Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. Stick with us. When Maddie was diagnosed, I'll be honest, I was very ignorant on what autism was. I knew that autism was basically something that hit boys at the age of two to three and shut down. And sometimes you think of the typical Rain Man uh, movie. Um, and with Maddie, she was doing all the same signs and symptoms of a, of a typical child with autism spectrum disorder. Stand up. didn't even acknowledge us coming into the room. Um, she had barely any eye contact. Um, she didn't interact with her sister. She didn't really do anything. She just basically lined up her toys and that was about it. We have a team of seven volunteers, or, or eight now, eight volunteers, including my husband and I. And I'm the team leader, and so I do all the curriculum and get everything ready each week. Jana was downstairs until 11 o'clock at night working on curriculum, going through two different textbooks. And then we, as a group, meet on Monday nights, and we would go through what the curriculum was from Jana. And a lot of times we would go, well, how exactly do you do that? How do you sit her at the table and, and do this trial base? Well, what skills has done for us, it's, it's taken that away from Jana trying to figure out the curriculum for one, she can go down, or on our, even our laptop, and she can sit down and through all these questions, it comes up with the different programs. At least for me, it was a relief off my shoulders. I was worried that I might be missing something, um, missing a curriculum that maybe she needs to know, where skills, they have every, every possible thing your child needs to know from zero to seven. They have a program for that. What noise is this? <laughs> 
every program that we did with her, I knew it was specific for what she needed to learn. Because before skills, it was a lot of, okay, well, is that really age appropriate for a two-year-old? You know, because it's not generalized. It's anywhere from zero to seven. This is what your child needs to know in most, in most manuals you'll find. Um, but for this, okay, yep, she should be learning this. And no, she's not four yet. She doesn't need to know that yet. We are so fortunate that Jana was able to attend a conference put on by CARD that opened the door for skills and that um, there's no looking back for us. We started using the program in November and it seemed like by January something just clicked and she has completely kind of came out of her fog that she was in for quite a while. I have never read a documented case on any child that has not benefited anything from applied behavior analysis and uh, now with this new skills and being you know, like the E version of ABA, I can't imagine that it doing anything harmful to their child. It, it's nothing but exponential growth for us. To see her now, it, is, it just blows us away I and mean, we call her our little miracle child because um, in seven months time, she's just blossomed into this normal functioning child and suddenly, we joke about it all the time, like suddenly we have twins. If you're even thinking about doing it, do it. Because the absolute worst thing you can do is do nothing at all. And even if you use this program and it's just a single mom or a single dad working in the evenings with their child, this program is going to benefit them. It's, it's going to show you where they are, it's going to show you where they need to go, and it's going to show you what skills and how to get there. It is an online book on how to help recover your child. Welcome back to Autism Live. We are so thrilled and so fortunate and so lucky that we have Dr. Jonathan Tarbox back in the studio with us. And for, we have to stop for a second and just congratulate you up, up and down and sideways and all over for really being the driving force behind getting the card book done. Well, it was a team effort, but yeah. It was, it I involved, love that you guys uh, always say that. Well, but it's true. It involved 22 Cardians. Amazing. Uh, made a contribution big enough to be an author on one of the chapters. So it was, it was really wow. a team effort across a lot of folks, across 14 months of work so well really remarkable congratulations do you feel like the world has changed now not hasn't, yet hasn't sunk in <laughs> okay well, well it will especially when you can <laughs> hold it in your hands and yeah. it's in a hard cover it w the world will feel like a much different place and we're all looking forward to reading it thank you um i, I it's going to be big so it, it will be useful in many different ways. We'll be reading it, and we can use it as a doorstop, probably a, a bus stop. Maybe it's, um, but thrilled to be able to read it. Now, uh, as I've mentioned before on the show, we have a new feature on our YouTube page that you can go to that we're trying to build the hundred most asked you. Uh, not YouTube questions, that would be a different thing entirely. The 100 most autism questions. And so whenever we have an expert in here, it's my job to pin them down and ask them to answer one of them in under two minutes. I think of it as like, um, you know, Jeopardy. It's like a game show warm up kind of thing. So the question that we have for Dr. Jonathan Tarbox is, 
Is ABA therapy effective for individuals who have cognitive disabilities? Absolutely. And so we see we get this question a lot, and uh, it's actually a very commonly misunderstood question, um, and so or misunderstood issue. Um, there isn't a lot of long-term between groups design outcome research that shows large global benefits for individuals with autism and cognitive disabilities. Um, you know, so the the standard thirty to forty hour a week for two years or more. Kids with significant cognitive disabilities and autism are not necessarily going to have the same outcomes mm -hmm. from that overall treatment model, um, or there isn't that much research showing those outcomes. However, uh, that being said, uh, the vast majority of research on autism is actually more targeted and focused on specific skills. So how do we teach you know, toothbrushing? How do we teach toilet training? How do we teach a child to ask for what he wants instead of having a tantrum? How do we teach a child to make his own sandwich when he's hungry, et cetera, right? So basic, core, important foundation skills, hundreds of studies um, on using ABA procedures to teach these skills to folks on the spectrum, and it turns out a, a huge percentage of those folks also have some degree of cognitive disabilities. Okay. And I don't think anyone's actually done a review anytime uh, soon. That would actually be a great idea for a research review project. Um, but almost all of these studies, especially with older kids, if you look, if you read the description of the kids who participated or adolescents who participated, almost all of them have some degree of uh, cognitive disability as well. So ABA is absolutely effective for teaching specific core life skills to people with um, autism spectrum disorder and cognitive disabilities. Wonderful. Thank you so much for answering that question for us. We also had a question that came in on a live feature this morning. Uh, somebody wrote in and said, my son is almost four. He attends a school that notes that they are ABA based. The teacher is not a BCBA yet, though she still needs to do her hours. They also do not track data. Now, I have to tell you, at this point in this, this message, I stopped right there and got a little bit of a chill. Um, we just got a regular home and what they wrote is note. And I know sometimes it doesn't allow you to go back and change. So I, I think that somebody coming to the, the home um, and doing ABA therapy, but they want to know, is this a quality ABA program? And if not, how do I find one? Uh, at, they said that their program at FAU in Boca Raton, Florida, does not offer in-home ABA services. And they said here, I left the word out, they said our CARD program. I want you to know that CARD is an ABA provider and they aren't in Boca Raton. So that's why I left it out there because you might be right. misunderstanding what a CARD program is and what an ABA program are. There are a couple other organizations in the world that have the same name, CARD. Oh, so uh, it could be the CARD in Florida that is, is not affiliated. It's not, it has nothing to do with uh, the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, there are a couple other organizations who chose to also have that name after we had it first, but okay. it's all right, uh, such as it is. And they don't provide uh, uh, actual treatment services. Okay, but you should know that that CARD program is not affiliated with the CARD program that we talk about. Correct. Um, okay, that clears things up for me. Uh, so they say that they don't offer in-home ABA services. She goes on to say that she or he says uh, PBS is one of our providers, but use assistance to prov provide services. They typically don't have experience. So how can I expect them to help my son with VB and appropriate social behavior and so forth. VB is verbal behavior. Verbal behavior yeah. language, okay. yeah. Okay, so, um, and they have sent their email um, so that we can get back in touch with them. But um, 
let's start with when a school says it's ABA based. I personally have experienced this before. The the crushing disappointment of having somebody say to you, oh, we're ABA based. And then you go and you look and you go, what exactly are you thinking ABA is? Because your idea of ABA and my idea of ABA are vastly different. And mine comes from, you know, the actual definition of ABA and yours doesn't. Um, so not to get flip about it, because this is a very serious thing that people right. will say ABA based and that's like when they put on products um, natural and you right. go, what exactly do you mean by that? Right, right. But as soon as somebody says they don't track data. That's a big red flag. Warning bells everywhere. Right. Talk to me about that. Right. So uh, a, a core defining feature of ABA is accountability for effectiveness. You know, actually evaluating whether or not what you're doing works. And there's only one way that human beings in the whole history of human civilization have figured out how to actually really be accountable for what works and what doesn't, and that's by directly measuring it. Yeah. Like opinion doesn't work. It's not good enough. Judgment, intuition, uh, casual observation, all of those things are important and critical pieces of the overall puzzle. But there is no substitute in human history for actual objective measurement of outcomes. And that's not specific to ABA. That's anywhere in education. That's physics. That's any, you know, any scientific yeah. endeavor. Anything, if you want to get the job done, you better measure whether or not you actually achieve the job, yeah. right? Like when you're fixing your car, you don't just hope that the car is fixed. You test drive it to see if it actually works, right? Right. Um, so same thing in ABA. Um, I guess hypothetically it could be possible for every other aspect of the program to be great and they just don't want to spend the time on data collection. I guess that could hypothetically be possible. I've never heard of even one single program in the world that was a good quality ABA program that did not collect data. And even if it was, even if everything else that they do other than data collection is great, they're still not, not going to do that great of a job because their memory alone is not good enough to know when to move on to the next teaching target or when yeah. the behavior plan has really worked or you know a, a million other things that we re rely on data for. What I think of this as is if you took a car and you started in New York City and you got in the car and you said, my goal is to make it to Los Angeles, but I'm not going to use any maps. Right. I'm not going to use the internet. I'm right. going to hope that I arrive there. Right, exactly. And you're driving surface streets and hoping for the best. That's, that's a great Maybe analogy. you'll get there. Right. Maybe you will, but it probably will take you significantly longer than somebody who was using a map. That's right. And if you tried that trip 100 times, maybe one out of 100 times, you'd actually get there efficiently. Right. So do you want to roll the dice that your kid is going to be that one out of 100 or out of 1,000 that they just happen to kind of get it right, even though they're not actually measuring the effects of what they're doing? I don't think so. And it kind of, as a, as a former teacher, it gives me all kinds of concerns, too, that if they're not tracking data at all, I mean, even w when you get your child's report card in any school, they're, they're quantifying what happened, but then you have to have a way to go back on and say, why did my child get a B in science? Right. Why didn't they get an A? And then they pull right. out and they, you know, have their charts of, well, on this test, mm -hmm. there were 30 questions and they only got 20 of them right. You know, that's a perfect analogy is that would be like, <laughs> that would be like teaching a class in typical education without actually grading any of the work, just kind of using your judgment, maybe looking through some of it and trying to remember right. if the kid did well, but never actually 
calculating percent correct on a right. test. And picking a grade and basing it on just what you felt like it went through. Right. As a parent, you'd lose your mind if somebody right. was doing totally, that. You would totally be like, ridiculous. excuse me. Um, I always say to parents when parents are upset about a grade that their child gets, and a lot of times it's on something like an essay. Mm -hmm. And they'll go, and they'll say, I don't understand why this essay got a B. And I always say, go back and ask the teacher for the rubric. Right. Because right. the rubric is, says, you know, if, it, if they did this, then it's this grade. And if they don't have a rubric, then the teacher isn't really teaching. Right. Right? And there parents always go, I didn't know I could ask for the rubric. Right. You always can ask for the rubric. Right. And the teacher should pull the rubric out. They shouldn't have given an assignment until there was a rubric. Right. Um, you know, it's even more so the case with ABA because it's even easier to measure performance, right? right. The kid either responded correctly or incorrectly, and here's how many right. here's how many times we measure the behavior. I mean, it's you know, there's okay. really no there's no substitute for ongoing data collection. Now, when Dr. Tarbox first came in, and I was reading part of this to him, and I was trying to breathe while <laughs> I was reading it, and uh, I said, now is it possible that they are tracking data and the parent just isn't aware of it? The parent isn't seeing it, they haven't right. shared it with the parent, and you still had some concerns about that. Right, so, and that is a possibility, and that would be a whole lot better than no data collection right. at all, right? Right. So let's just assume hypothetically they're tracking the data in a way that's, you know, accurate, uh, reliable, valid. They're doing that, and they're just not telling the parent about it. So they're making their own treatment decisions on the basis of data, which is critical. Well, okay, that's great, but then if they're not, if the parent isn't even aware of it, then there's a major issue with parent involvement. Yeah. And so we know that, that just a core feature of of, of good quality ABA programs is parent involvement. So if you're a parent, you should know on a daily, if at least weekly um, basis, what your kid worked on, how they did, where he's going, where his progress is with respect to goals. Uh, so you, sh you should definitely be aware of the data. And if you're not, then you need to make them know that you need to be aware yeah. and, uh, and just demand it. Okay, so, uh, you know, her next question, is this a quality ABA program? Yeah, well, I, I mean, the jury is out. Let's yeah, be fair. We don't have enough information. But there are, right, but to, there are concerns. Sure. But there's major concerns. And she wants to know how do I find one? Right. How okay. do I find a good quality ABA there uh, well, provider? Uh, we could get back to her. We could email her back specifically with some referrals to okay. good quality people out there. You know, we don't service that area. Um, we don't have anybody in Florida. Um, we do have workshop consultants or, you know, uh, yeah. remote services consultants that we send all over the world. Um, but if she's looking for local service providers, we could probably okay. we could probably give her a referral. And I do tell people on the show that a, a, another great way, but I think what a wonderful opportunity that you have an opportunity to write in and, and uh, we can help, help you with that, but also at, joining a local support group Absolutely. and asking a bunch of questions from a bunch of parents. Don't just go to a coffee and meet one parent and and do everything that they say, right? Because you don't right. know if they know what they're talking about. Uh, survey and, a wide group of parents. And it's really important with parent groups also to listen to the description of what that parent group is about yeah. and decide if that sort of mission and philosophy is right for you and if that's where you're coming from, that right? Is so and so key. right, it's very important because it's not not every parent group is great for every parent, right? Yeah. And so for example, um, Los Angeles Feet is one of the probably one of the best parent groups in the country for really pushing for evidence-based treatment yeah. and so they don't give information to the parents in their group about treatment unless there's some research suggesting that that treatment could be effective yeah. and so that's what they're about and, and you know and frankly that's not for every parent yeah. some parent some parents don't want that but yeah I you know I I went I belong to a parent group that's mostly online because that's what worked for me I just couldn't get out 
to go to these places to meet with different people and that was really useful to me but the couple of times I did go to different parents support groups it was I wish that I had somebody like you talking in my ear and saying look make sure that because uh, there was one that I went to where people were talking about being so concerned I of course I'm concerned about things in the environment but they were concerned at a level that I said I'm not going to do this like they were having electricity moved from their children's bedrooms because they didn't want any wires going through the walls right. and I went much. and I went I, I that's a level of, of attentiveness that will make me crazy I'm right. not saying that you know that, that it wouldn't be good for some people but I can't go there I'll be awake all night in a corner worrying worrying right I can't allow that kind of stuff I, I have things I got to do <laughs> right I need to rest and that won't help me and you really have to make those judgment calls sure. for yourself um, so really great advice now uh, going on she talks about the provider that she currently has and says that the, the it sounds like who's coming to the home are mm -hmm. assistants mm -hmm. not BCBAs which is very which typical is normal, in the ABA yeah. uh, world uh, but she's concerned they typically don't have experience so I, I would love it if you would talk a little bit about how because we always have an influx of new therapists that are coming right. in that don't have experience talk a little bit about the card model about when a therapist is actually working with a child because I think it's a great way to gauge sure how sure. a therapist can get get experience right and you know that is a real tough problem for everybody within the ABA yeah. field um, and with an autism is <clears throat> um, the entry-level jobs are a very high turnover job mm -hmm. right and so in the best case it's a high turnover job because the person wants to get promoted and they're a really high achiever they're a high performer and so they're not going to stay in that entry-level position they're going to get promoted to a senior therapist or assistant or technician or whatever and then they're going to go to graduate school they're going to get their BCBA and then they're going to become a supervisor right so just for that reason it's not a lifer position the entry-level right. position is not a position that people stay in for very long really honestly a couple years and then honestly yeah. it's a tough job you start to burn out and you need yeah. to move on either into a higher position or maybe a different field you know if that's yeah. not right for you um, so it's a normal problem that you know any provider you go to in the world your most of the therapists are going to be relatively new yeah um, and th that doesn't mean that they just got hired last week but it may well mean that they got hired last year or the year before if they're not going to be seasoned veterans necessarily right. so um, as you brought up training and, and uh, quality control is really the key component. And so um, there's a lot of different models for that. The way we do it at CARD is uh, when we first interview someone and bring them uh, bring them into an entry-level position, they don't need to have prior experience. They just need to be good with kids, you know, and hardworking and professional. And then we provide them with a ton of training, about 30 or 40 hours of classroom training, and then another 30 or so hours of hands-on overlap training. So we go out with them um, to the child's house, and the, the trainer therapist actually works with the kid, and the trainee therapist, the new one, just watches right and then jumps in every now and then to do something and then jumps back out and watches mm -hmm. right and then as their overlap um sessions progress they start to take over more responsibility for working with the kid and the trade the trainer starts to fade her presence out until by the end of their overlap training which again is about maybe 30 hours or so of actual hands-on work um, the trainee is doing all of the work with the kid and the trainer is just watching and giving feedback mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and then after all of that if, as if that wasn't enough then uh, they have to pass a field evaluation which is where the trainer comes out and gives no advice no prompting no feedback and just watch 
watches with the clipboard and scores everything and rates everything the therapist does. It's a stressful experience for the therapist. I, I think it's um, a stressful thing for everyone because is. you get attached to these people in your home and you're hoping that they do well on their field of Val. Right. And you know, you're hoping for the best for everyone. That's right. Um, and if but, they can't pass it, then um, they're given specific feedback to improve. And if they can't pass it again, then that's it. We don't yeah. need them. You know? Yeah. Um, and somebody wrote in a, another question. Apparently, we, the Florida contingent is watching today, and we, <laughs> and we welcome you. So somebody else wrote in and said, I'm from Florida, too, and there are no services here. I'm servicing my child ABA program with uh, PBS2, and their stuff is always inexperienced. How long do you wait to know if the therapist will get the ABA or not? I know ABA is not for everyone, and some therapists make uh, never make it to be a good therapist. My friend said if therapists do not get it in a month, they will never get it. Is okay. that true? That's a great question. So I, I'm not familiar with PBS, so I am not speaking right. towards PBS as an organization. I have no idea what they do or, you know, so I can't speak right. to them as an organization or their employees. Um, but sort of just general principles or general advice. Um, you know, you should be looking for those that training component, looking for that hands-on training component. And it's fine to ask your child's supervisor, you know, what training did my th my child's therapist go through or assistants, whatever they call them? What specific training did they go through? Can you describe it to me? Mm -hmm. What hands-on training did they go through? And how do you know if they're doing a good job? Are you taking data on whether or not they're doing a good job? Is there some kind of evaluation process? Can I see that? Um, or can I see how it works at least? Mm -hmm. um, and they should, the provider should have a reasonable response to that, right? They shouldn't just say, oh, don't worry about it. We, you know, it should be a, a lengthy, detailed response, right? Yeah. And they shouldn't be afraid of those questions. They should actually be happy that you're that engaged, right? Yeah. Um, and so to her other question, if the therapist doesn't get it after a month, are they ever going to get it? Uh, gee, I don't know. That's actually a question that needs to be researched. You know, we yeah. could actually do a study to, to evaluate that. But uh, my hunch is, yeah, you kind of do either get it or don't get it within the first, maybe, maybe not one month, maybe it's one to three months. Mm -hmm. um, if someone's not doing a good job after a month or two, we don't keep them around. Right. I mean, we just, it's not fair to the kid. And frankly, it's not fair to the employee, right? They don't want to be in a job that they're not doing right. well at. And that's such a high stakes, important job. Um, so, yeah, I kind of think yeah, probably therapists do either kind of click or not within the first month or two. Honestly, within the first week, the therapist can kind of tell, is this something that I really want to do? Yeah. I would say to you, too, that as a parent, you have a great opportunity here. That anytime I remember when I, before we even started ABA, that the, the family that brought us in and said, you got to get ABA, here's where you, who you have to call, right? The one that I always say I'm paying it forward for. Um, she said to me, and now understand that you're going to be a part of training the therapist the whole time that you're doing this. And she said, and get comfortable with it and use it to your advantage. And so we did. And when therapists would come in and they would be in training, uh, we would start to get to know them, and especially the ones that we really jived with. Because some people you jive with and some people sure. you don't. Some people your kid jives with, some people they don't. We would really try to reinforce them. We didn't know that, that at the moment we weren't thinking about it that we would try to really rob raw them on and then once they would pass their field about sometimes they would come on to our service you know they would be part of our team and anytime a new therapist came into our home I would say to them upon them walking the door I'd say here are five things I want you to know about being here and one of the first things with a new ther therapist I would say we have an expectation that you don't know everything we're and we love it when you ask questions it's okay if you don't know everything but if we see that if you're passionate about wanting to learn about this you will so we want to give you the time and the space to ask questions don't feel awkward because it's a little bit 
I think, nerve-wracking for them. Suddenly, after sure. all this training, they're there with the child, and, you know, they have some concerns, and, and I would say, so ask questions, and, you know, and especially in clinic, we love it when you ask questions. To us, that makes you appear smart. Right. Uh, you know, people <laughs> who don't ask questions, I, I, you know, I'm wary of, but ask questions. And I would always say to everybody, and do know that I have a baby monitor that is video, so I'm hearing and seeing everything that you do. So don't say anything and don't do anything that you don't want me to say or that you want me to hear because I will hear it all. That's great. Um, and then there were some other things too that was a big thing with me that I would say, don't ever tell my child he's wrong if he's correct. I don't care what the SD on the paper says, what yeah, he's or great. what the response is that he's supposed to give. Perfect example was when he was being taught the difference between um, girl and boy and lady and man he had jumped ahead uh. and so they the somebody was didn't realize that and was looking at the thing and said is so and so a girl or a boy and he said no they're a man and he and the person said well no because what they wanted was the answer girl or right, boy and right. i said no 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 he's correct that person is a man yeah you know even yeah. if not what you had written on the sheet i yeah. don't care yeah if he's right he's right that's great and sometimes he's right and by the way that's good aba anyway so yeah. we want we want kids to be creative and come yes. up with their own answers and to produce variable responding we don't want just memorization of specific behaviors but for new therapists saying that on the first day i always of them starting out on their own i always saw them go of course absolutely and they were very mindful of that's it. great um and i think most of them would have been but i'm compulsive i need to say things right <laughs> I to get it <laughs> well, off it's good chest. to set the expectations and, and yeah. to make them feel welcome you know and and we would also tell them how the house worked i would say here are the rooms that we want you to feel free to do whatever uh here are the rooms you can't go into him with because a lot of times my husband would be you know working really early in the morning if it was the afternoon he'd be sleeping in the bedroom i'd say he's not allowed to go in there during this time he can absolutely come in and get me whenever he wants and if you ever need me all you have to do is say Shannon and I will come out instantly because I will have been listening so we just laid it all out there and then if people could work within that we got along with them great there were some people who just you know that was Maybe hard for them too intense for and them <laughs> that, that was hard for them and you know what they were people who didn't work out anyway so right, there you go you know um, but but I would caution you don't it eliminate somebody just on the idea that they're inexperienced because there was a day when Dr. Jonathan Tarbox walked into a woman's home right. and he didn't know anything about ABA and look at him now <laughs> look at him now ladies and gentlemen and you could have that you could have the next Jonathan Tarbox coming into your home to do ABA and you don't even know it right right that's right someone will have the next great person in ABA in That's their right. home, like tomorrow, it's going to happen. And, it's, and I, it's guaranteed to happen. We just I, don't know who or where. I love that first bit of advice that that mom gave me about be a part of the process mm -hmm. of training these people and yeah. because you get to make a difference when you do. That's right. And it's a difference that starts in your home, but then it goes on to other people. Now when I meet people in, that live where I live and, and I, you know, they'll say I have a child uh, on the autism spectrum, I, I do too. And, and I always say you're getting good quality ABA therapy and they'll say, yeah, I'm with CARD and then we'll start talking. They'll say, I have so-and-so. And they'll say, I have Alex who comes. I, 
don't you love Alex? Isn't yeah, Alex okay. the best? <laughs> and then we, you know, bond over that, that we have these great therapists. Well, I remember when Alex came to our house and he was doing his beginning training. Mm -hmm. And that makes me happy, all the lives that he's changing. That's Although now cool. he's becoming a supervisor. They, they grow That's up. That's how it works. The therapists they grow, up, grow up. Leave the nest. And, uh, <laughs> and then they become uh, supervisors. Some of you that are doing workshops, you have Peter Farrag flying to you, see you in Dubai and see you in South Africa. Peter was the very first therapist that ever came to our door. And he is a rock star. And, and I'm so thrilled that we get to share that with the world. I can talk to somebody in South Africa. That's and right. their child has the same therapist that my child had. And I know how good he is. That's right. So, and, it was, and it was what he learned working with your child that enabled him to be an amazing clinician today. Yes. So it's very amazing. Cool. It's it's a great legacy to be a part of. So do absolutely participate in that. Now we're going to take a short break and then we're going to come back and we're going to ask you to talk about self injurious behavior for a little while. So very serious subjects. So we're going to change it up a little bit. Stick with us. The Institute for Behavioral Training provides courses in applied behavior analysis for the treatment of autism. Access IBTE learning videos on the move and learn at your own pace. I'm going to talk a little bit about intensity. IBTE learning makes any location your classroom on the go. So our objectives for today are to really learn what is autism and how is it diagnosed. Get professional guidance with IBT face-to-face -face training. IBT face-to-face -face training courses prepare you to effectively implement ABA-based interventions. Choose between small group and one-to-one -one instruction. Earn BCBA supervision hours via one-to-one -one video conferencing. So I had a chance to review your BIP today. You know what? It looked really good. You did a good job with that. IBT, continuing education courses. Earn credit through webinars, conferences, article reviews, and e-learning videos. You can learn more at ibehavioraltraining.com. IBT, 360 degrees of ABA training. I love that. Welcome back to Autism Live. We are here with Dr. Jonathan Tarbox, and we call this Science Beat with Dr. Tarbox because we frequently will ask you questions having to do with research. There's a good reason why we ask you about that. You're the head of research and development at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. You're all, I'm telling you this like you don't know it. <laughs> and you are also the director of the Autism Research Group, a really amazing organization. Tell uh, the folks at home about what ARG does. Sure. So Autism Research Group is a independent nonprofit <laughs> research institute dedicated to doing research that makes a real life, real life difference uh, for families living with autism. So research that um, addresses real bread and butter, nuts and bolts, daily living type uh, real life issues. Okay. But all the stuff that we want information about really is what it boils down to. And, and so today in particular, I wanted to talk with Dr. Tarbox about self-injurious behavior. This is something that we get a wide variety of questions about, and I think it's greatly misunderstood and maybe if you could talk to us a little bit about self-injurious behavior. Sure, sure. So first of all, self-injurious behavior um, 
involves any kind of behavior that has the potential to produce harm, you know, for the person doing the behavior. Um, and there's a huge range of severity from, um, you know, most self-injurious behaviors, pretty mild, thank goodness, um, things like maybe slapping yourself or biting yourself that doesn't really produce any real tissue damage, maybe some redness or swelling or bruising, but isn't very, very serious, at least not in its current form, all the way up to the other end of the spectrum, uh, where really in severe cases, there can even be life-threatening SIB. And there have actually been um, individuals on the spectrum who have have actually died from their SIB. Th you know, thank goodness that's very, 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 very few, uh, probably less than 1% mm -hmm. uh, of folks with SIB have real serious life-threatening SIB, but there is a, a continuum of severity. It's a spectrum, like everything else like in everything our, else. and and we have to be really careful, don't we, that we can't assume that we know what the function of right. the self-injurious behavior is. I'm glad you asked that question. That was the very first thing I was going to say the, okay. ne the next time I had I the opportunity to talk was um, <laughs> I actually get this all the time from clinicians uh, all over the place. They'll email me and say, hey, I have this kid with this really bad SIB. He's hitting himself. What should I do? And my first question is, well, what do you mean? Uh, it's function, right? It doesn't matter that it's SIB. Of course it matters. You gotta protect the kid and keep mm -hmm. him safe, but that actually has no impact on what treatment you choose. The, the treatment that you choose needs to be based on the function of the behavior or why, the reason why the child is engaging in the self-injurious behavior. Okay, so maybe we could talk uh, about what the usual suspects are sure. with self-injurious behavior and the process by which a trained clinician could figure out which one it is. Right. So um, previously published research have shown that about uh, in at least, I think it's 90 or 95 percent of cases of self-injurious behavior displayed by people with developmental disabilities, including autism, um, it's maintained either by uh, the reason why they're doing it is either to get attention from other people, to escape from something they don't want to do, usually some kind of de task demands, or you know, it could be academic work, it could be daily living routines, they don't want to take a bath, a shower, whatever, but escape from something they don't want, um, or um, access to some kind of preferred tangible items or activities, so preferred food, preferred games, toys, um, or automatic reinforcement, which means the behavior produces its own stimulation, its own um, satisfaction, basically. So those four, attention, escape, tangible and automatic um, account for about 90 to 95 percent of cases of self-injurious okay. behavior. So basically if you do an assessment that can identify one of those four, you're going to hit the nail on the head 95 percent of the time. So that's where to start. Okay. And and in this case, is, is it possible that it could be a mixture of the four? Absolutely. Or not? Okay. No, absolutely. In fact, uh, so th that research I was describing states that um, 95 percent of these behaviors um, are categorized as one or more of these four okay. functions. So um, Many behaviors are very common for us to see. Uh, Self-injurious behavior have more than one of those functions. So it's very, very common, for example, uh, in kids on the spectrum to see self-injurious behavior that's maintained by um, access to tangibles. So if there's something that the child really wants, and you're insisting on taking it away, and the child hits themselves or headbangs or something like that it's pretty likely that a caregiver is going to give that thing back to them to prevent the child from hurting themselves, right? Which yeah. makes sense, except that you actually encourage the behavior to happen more. So tangible is very common, and escape is also very, very common, right? So all the time we see uh, folks on the spectrum who, um, you know, the, what they're being asked to do is unreasonable, it's too difficult, it's irritating, it's, it's aversive for whatever reason. You know, the caregivers aren't trying to make the person do something they don't want to do, but it's just, well, okay, this is what you're supposed to do right now. Mm -hmm. The individual doesn't want to do it, they don't have have the means to communicate by saying, can I have a break or can I do something else or whatever? And so they do whatever else works. And uh, in many cases, self-injuring is what works to get yeah. that person out of doing what they have to do. 
And so if you're the mom who's in Minnesota and you've got the child who's engaged in the self-injurious behavior and you don't know which one of these four things it right, is. Of course. And especially when it's self-injurious behavior, I'm guessing that it, it wouldn't be in the child's best interest for us to try to figure it out on our own. No, absolutely not. And so we give a lot of practical advice on your show yeah. uh, on, you know, topics that parents definitely can sort of chip away at by themselves. Things mm -hmm. like tantrums, you know, you probably should be able to at least give it a shot yeah. to decrease tantrums. Things like maybe teaching some basic self-care skills, things that, that are that you know are not the end of the world if you don't get it quite right, if you're not experienced, right? right. Self-injurious behavior is not one of those. Okay. It's you know, it's it's serious business. Even if it's low intensity right now, if you try to treat it the wrong way, you can actually make it worse. Yeah. Um, and so in really severe cases, what we see is a history of years that this individual has been engaging in this behavior and years that people have been trying to fix it and it doesn't work. In other words, people are probably making it worse unintentionally. So if you have a child with self-injurious behavior, you need to go see a board-certified behavior analyst. There really isn't any substitute. Someone who's a board-certified behavior analyst and who is an expert in assessing and treating uh, self-injurious behavior in particular. And you should do it right away. And and I really want to make it clear because I think a lot of times people think, oh, well, self-injurious behavior, you know, my child's not engaged in that. And so I, I want to go through some of the different things because my child was engaged in self-injurious behavior. He would bang his head on the kitchen floor. And, you know, I think in the beginning it started out as something that if I asked him to do something and he didn't want to do it, he'd go in and bang his head on the floor. But eventually what happened is that after he would hit his head on the floor a couple of times, I, of course, would pick him up and he would cry and I would rub his head and then I would right. rock him right. and I would make a bottle and sing to him right. and give him all this attention. So eventually, you know, it would happen when he wanted attention too. Now, I consider myself a good parent of course. And, and, I'm, and I don't consider myself an idiot. And yet when I was able to step back outside of the scenario and look at it and, and with a therapist's help and go, oh my gosh, I was ensuring that my child would hit his head on the floor right. because his happiest moments came as a result of hitting his head. Right. And and I didn't intend to do that. So other things, teenagers who are cutting themselves. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not really an expert in that. So I'm not But it's still but it's, it's considered self-injurious. Self Absolutely. Yeah. Um, um but yeah, but I'm not sure that it might, there might be other things going on with that too, especially okay. older, more verbal adolescents. There might be like, that's definitely outside of my But don't let it go. I think no, is no, the, no. yeah. Seek help for yeah, sure. Seek but, help. but what I've been talking about so far is more for folks on the spectrum who yeah. are doing things like um, hitting themselves, slapping themselves, biting themselves, peeling the picking skin, skin yeah. yeah, pulling hair out, poking eyes. Uh, hang, banging head against objects or floor or ceiling or not ceiling floor or wall hopefully, hopefully not ceiling yeah, yeah. Um, things of that nature okay so make sure that you seek out help for these kinds of behaviors um, and and don't try to do it on your own no it, it would you know I mean I always go back to the car example if something was horribly wrong with the engine of your car how many of us would say I'm I'm gonna take this on <laughs> right well and the thing is is in you know if it's really non-critical it might not be the end of the world for you to try to tinker with right. the engine by yourself. Let's say it's, you know, it's not your car that you need for work. Let's say it's a go-kart just for fun and it doesn't right. really matter if you mess it up, okay? Right. Sure, try it yourself. And if it doesn't work, go seek an expert. But if it's your one vehicle that you need to get to work and you drive on a windy mountain road that's really steep, yeah. you're not gonna tinker with the brakes if you're not an expert in fixing brakes, right? Not. And that really is the level of seriousness that self-injurious behavior is. We thank you so much for being here. We wanna give you just a second to say what ARG's website is and encourage people to go there. Sure, so for more information about autism research group, please visit our website at www.autismresearchgroup.org. 
And while you're there, make sure that you fill out, you still have surveys on there where people mm -hmm. can answer the question, what are you interested in getting Absolutely. Uh, research uh, done about? Because I, I think every autism parent has a study in the back of their head that they go, why doesn't somebody do this? And now you have the opportunity to ask. So we thank you so much for being here. It's We're really at the end of the show and at the end of the week. We're going to be continuing on next week with our topics about what is new and hot and, and advanced in autism. Uh, ending next week, we're going to have Holly Robinson Pete here for a special one hour on Friday. You're not going to want to miss that. And when she's here, we're going to be giving away two Nobby tablets. These are amazing, amazing products that are out there that are just revolutionizing how we look at tablets with kids. So you'll definitely want to see Holly and hear what she has to say. Uh, but a whole week where we're going to be talking about the advances in technology and how you can use technology to advance what you're trying to do at home. I'm really excited about next week. So make sure that you're here with us. Uh, we're out of time, but have a wonderful weekend. Check in on our Facebook over the weekend. We'll see you back on Tuesday. Until then, please give your kiddos a hug from me. Bye-bye for now.